Welcome to Stroke.fm. I am here with my colleague, Ryan Moyer. Thank you for having me, Dr. Kostrovani. It's a great pleasure to be here, here in the world of stroke. And uh, we're here to speak to you about the future of stroke in the year 2030. That's right. It's timely. It's 2020. We're starting a new decade. And let's. there's no better time than now than to talk about the future of stroke. That's right. That goes back to that old Van Halen song. <laughs> yeah. Right here, right now. That's right. So uh, I'm Dr. Human Kostrovani. This is Dr. Ryan Muir. Awesome. And we're going to talk to you about this. So we thought to talk to you about the future of stroke and, you know, in the year 2030, at the start of the decade, which just turned 2020. Welcome everybody to that. So Ryan, what do you think uh, about thrombectomy? How has that been on your life? Thrombectomy? Well, hey, it's made call very, very different. It's made our days much busier, uh, but I think it's changed outcomes for patients drastically. Yeah, you're right. It's quite nice when they get better. And uh, I must say, in the future, I'm curious to see how far they can reach. Right. What do you think? <laughs> so, so, so what you're referring to, uh, Dr. Moyer, is how far into the brain they can go. That's right. This is, this is quite true. So right now, you know, even at our shop, um, when it's in the M1s and the proximal vessels, it's all fair game. There are these, uh, you know, situations where the clot is in the M2 and it's it's a proximal M2 and it's a large M2, so-called the functional M1, where, you know, in our shop, they are happy to go there. But for distal, mm. you know, around the bend in that Sylvian fissure, right. they are not going to go there right now in M2. What and, do you think that's going to happen? And watch out for those torturous vessels. Those <laughs> torturous vessels are the worst. Hashtag torturous vessels are bad. But not in 2030. Because of flex fiber optic fibers, which will be in, in line in the next couple of years, I'm sure. Maybe 2030 they'll have like... Uh, self-seeking catheters where they'll go after the clot by themselves or robots that you put in the blood and they go up and remove the clot i do like that hello sir we're going to inject tpa sorry i mean microbots which are going <laughs> to go and dissolve the clot complications zero exactly so yeah so i think in the future that they're going to be able to reach further vessels and uh and get there better and uh, the patients will do better absolutely i think that's a very good idea so do you think they'll be able to go to like m4 m5 like different levels of BMW, I mean, uh, different <laughs> vessels. Probably even M6, no? Maybe even M6. That's <laughs> right. Didn't they release the M8? Um, That'll yes. be the new anatomy of the humans in 2032. They'll have M8s evolving. <laughs> that's right. So I think, I think that's quite real, that they're going to be able to go further out. So that's one of those uh, frontiers in thrombectomy. So I think one of the other things that's going to probably happen is right now we have a mystery with regards to NIH. Mm. So when we have low NIH patients, we don't know what to do. What, what do you think that's going to happen in the future? With low NIH patients? Yeah. I think it may not matter. It's all going to be imaging-based rather than clinically-based, uh, eh? What do you think? Probably. What do you think? Does time matter? Not anymore, although it does. Where we're going, we don't need time. Another we're reference. out of time, we're as of uh, time. Back to the Future uh, would That's say. right. Back to the Future reference. Yeah, so I think probably in the future, like the, the jury's going to be out, but you know, if the complication rates drop then we're going to be probably more proactive on acting on low NIH. Right now, the complication rate's about 5 to 7% for thrombectomy. And, you know, as, that, as time evolves, there might be, uh, yeah, patients may be uh, at less risk from the procedure and they might be willing to have these procedures done. And even now, we're starting to see more people with low NIHs going for EVT with pretty good outcomes, given the risk of not doing anything is much higher than perhaps intervening. That's right. And in cases where they have a low NIH, I think one of the key points is to bring those patients in and watch them rather than let them be somewhere in a periphery where they're not accessible to a, you know, a, a, an EVT center so that if they were to deteriorate, um, they would uh, not get 
they would not get worse without having access to thrombectomy. And totally fair. That brings up another good point about the future, too. We need to have EVT centers that are more wide-spaced. Right. Because, you know, in large countries like Canada, but it's uh, very hard to get patients from A to B. Yeah, so I think that if the complication rates come down and we have some better evidence that we can act on low NIH, and there are trials that are uh, looking at this, obviously, um, uh, then, then that would be a very interesting uh, frontier. Um, and I think, as you said, as time no longer matters, it'll be all about clot perfusion. Uh, and um, at that point, that would be the mainstay of what they're, they're going to go based on, not just clot uh, location or how the patient is doing clinically. One of the things we do know is that you can have a low NIH with a proximal vessel occlusion. We've definitely seen NIH of right. three, right. upright, even beta block with a systolic of 110 with a nice fresh M1, very scary situation, hard to know what to but do. But those collaterals protect them. Yeah. Exactly. So hashtag collaterals. Not everybody has all of them either. Not everybody has a lot of collaterals. And some of these people... How do you think we will grow collaterals in people? Or will we in 10 question. years? Hey? That's a good How do question. we develop that? You are inching to the more complicated topic of neuroprotection, but we're not there yet. Imagine you could grow collaterals acutely. Hmm. hmm. That's also an interesting point. Are collaterals available to be, uh, you know, available in the time of a fresh stroke? Or does one have to have collaterals pre-existing? And that's going to be up for debate. Are there some amount of collaterals that could be recruited fairly quickly in a stroke on the order of tens of minutes? Or is it all based on what the person have and, you know, kind of the mm -hmm. collateral lottery? Mm, yeah, right. it could be that. That's fair. One of the other things we thought we'd talk about was um, the future of TPA. What is the future of TPA? I don't know. That's a tough question. You know, we're seeing more and more cases where EVT is really the definitive management, especially with long clots, clots that don't have trickle perfusion. We know that those clots aren't amenable to TPA, but at present time, we know that distal clots are TPA is all we have. Um, so it's it's difficult. At uh, present time, there probably is a role, but if EVT can reach further. And the complications, like you said, Dr. Krasirvani, are diminishing with better innovation, then perhaps the complications of an M6 EVT is less than TPA for an M6 in, That's right. tw in 2030. But then you have <clears throat> TNK, right? You've been studying this as well. Yeah, so we're going to be starting that hopefully here for the Canada-wide trial led out of uh, Toronto and Calgary. But yeah, you're right. So one of the trials that you know put uh, EVT on, the la on Landmark was Mr. Clean. And there is going to be a, a, a Mr. Clean no IV trial, I believe. And so that's going to try to tease apart whether a TPA is actually necessary. Hmm. Uh, very similar, in fact, to uh, the trial we talked about that is going to probably be the most definitive trial, at least in the initial part, for low NIH, something called endo-low, which is a, a, another trial that's going to look into low NIH. Yeah, so it's going to be pretty cool stuff, pretty cool stuff coming down there. Another interesting thing to talk about is low aspects. What to do with low aspects? It's always a pain in the butt. What do you do, Ryan, with low aspects? How low is too low for you? I don't think there is too low. You know, it depends. Aspects of two, you go in for that? A 30-year-old, maybe. You know, if that's all they have, Dr. that's Boyer is very brave. Brave man. That's why I want to be a stroke neurologist, right? That's right, I'm exactly. here to fight for you. And maybe, that's right, we are here to fight for you, not the clot. And uh, yeah, it, it's definitely possible. I think that, um, I mean, right now, kind of somewhere between, and I, uh, somewhere between an aspects of five and higher, things are still good. When the aspects goes below five, it's a bit complicated. We have mm. definitely taken patients when their aspects is four. As you said, when there's a lot at stake, uh, sometimes yeah. age does play into that. Um, and uh, that would be another interesting thing. There are probably some people that, um, you know, have low aspects that they still can benefit. And the reason is some aspects is reversible. Right. 
Just like right. some DWI is reversible. Yeah. And the other topic too is where is the aspects the greatest? Right. Is and how to measure aspects. Yeah. Is it eloquent cortex or not? That's also very important. Good point. And should we be, we be relying on MR signal more reliably to measure That's right. tissue that is more at risk than not? Yeah. So we know that diffusion can reverse, but we think that when diffusion signal converts to being positive or hyper intense on flare, at that point, you've established core. And, you know, as the future comes in the year 2030, machine learning algorithms are going to be doing all of this. And so there'll be less subjectivity to what's core, what's penumbra, and what the aspects is. There is right now currently something called e-aspects, I believe. Um, and there's also all computational kind of aspects to the same folks that make the rapid software. Um, however, in the future, I think that uh, better machine learning algorithms that are based on images could give us a more objective understanding of what that is. And the other amazing thing about 2030, I bet by then solid state MR is going to be more portable in emergency Ooh. departments. And we can get real-time MR images. All we need really is a flare and a DWI. That's right. And if we can get solid state MR encode strokes, how amazing would that be? And will aspects from based on CT be thrown out the window at that point? That's right. Maybe aspects will be dead. NIH will be you know, important, but not relevant on its own purely. Location may not matter, especially if you have nanobots being injected. And uh, I think I think it'll be very very cool. As you said, detection of uh, the other thing is the pre pre hospital detection of large vessel occlusion to triage them. And there's already some work happening with ultrasound. Maybe the future people in the field can know if they're dealing with a large vessel occlusion before they come our way. So they wouldn't have to come to the hospital for a CT angiography to be mm. screened because that may not be the easiest way to know what's going on. Maybe there's things in the field we can do to identify large vessel occlusions. Yeah. And even on that note, even before the stroke happens, what if in the future there's monitoring, cardiac monitoring that senses clot being formed in the left atrium? There you go. Before you, the stroke actually happens. You're going back to the neuroprotection. And yeah. So if we, the earlier you know that the stroke's going to happen, there might be a, a point where there's neuroprotective agents that have already been proven. Right now, there has been a really cool trial that's wrapped up called Escape NA1, testing the NA1 compound. Uh, but, you know, in the future, there might be that compound or other compounds that can offer neuroprotection. I mean, ideally, if you could give something for the brain to hold its breath, to no longer have neuronal death occur, then a lot of the interventions can take take their time happening, whether that's mechanical thrombectomy using guide wires and catheters or some sort of future nanobot. But at least at that point, time will not matter. Currently, time does matter in some ways. Uh, you know, some patients, time is different for people Absolutely. based on their collaterals. Absolutely. But... Um, maybe we can take time out of the equation completely. Time is not equal for two people. That's right. All right. So we talked about a bunch of cool things that are coming down the line. The other thing we didn't talk about is like right now what happens? So like I'm sitting at home or, you know, Ryan's on call or whatever, and suddenly that dreaded ancient technology goes off the pager. Will we still have pagers in the year 2030? Great question. That's hard to know. You know, it's currently still one of the most reliable ways to get a hold of someone, but watches now being worn clearly that's a more reliable way to get a hold of someone i can just buzz you and clearly it's on your body already yeah we can nerd um, out here a bit actually so a pager works in the megahertz frequency like pages are 970 megahertz or something <laughs> like that and the reason they work that way is because they're long wavelengths and get through buildings and basements and things like that our cellular phones mm. have a higher frequency but if you have better antennas and better coverage yeah you don't need pages you can still get good you can get your page in your basement now, what about the talk like artificial assistance or intelligent assistance? Can I talk to the assistant on my way to the, the code? Can I say, hey, dingus, or hey, you know, I don't want to set off everyone's devices right now, but, you know, hey, blah, 
uh, will it go off and start telling me what's going on, you know, where the patient is? Could I have augmented reality in my glasses that can guide me to where the code stroke is? Can I start getting some images already through the CT uh, directly? Fascinating. That's yeah. a great idea. Probably in the year 2030, if we had the budget, we could probably talk to the scanner. Could say like, scanner, could you please repeat the CTA? There's too much motion. And the CT scanner will say, yes, doctor, I will repeat the CTA. Wouldn't that be awesome? Maybe, like we love our technicians. Please don't get us wrong. We love CT techs. But you could see a future where the devices in the world of mm. internet of things are more intelligent, right? So, uh, you know, this was a really good snippet, uh, Dr. Moir, of uh, some of the future things that are happening in the stroke in the year 2030. And I think we even lowballed it. Like, we, we lowballed it because we know healthcare doesn't move very slowly. Like, sorry, moved very slowly. But if it, but if it moved faster, um, there would be probably really cool things out there, but not right now. Uh, we are in a world where thrombectomy is not available to everybody. We're blessed to be in North America in a big center, but yeah. a, a lot of folks don't have access to thrombectomy in smaller places or all these fancy transport things. And so, uh, as, as we talked about, like in the field, detection may help triage them better. What do you think? Any other things you want to talk about in the year 2030? I mean, there's this other hypothesis that I know that, Dr. Crespino, you're looking into too, is the the, uh, the effect of seizure activity during code strokes and, and ongoing neuronal damage from electrical disturbance, not just the ischemia, but the surrounding penumbra that's electrically disturbed. And we know that from the seizure literature, seizure activity is excitotoxic. That's a very good thought. Just tonight, actually, for folks who are listening, we're talking about how, you know, when you see a patient, let's say NIH of 16, a portion of that NIH is the core and a, a large portion of it, hopefully, is the penumbra. And that's what you're actually reversing is the penumbra. And in some people, their NIH goes down to zero, but they still have an infarct. So the, the concept of what is causing core, what's causing penumbra is probably... You know, and this was, I think, demonstrated many years ago, in fact, that it's not just due to the, the, the perfusion part, but it's also the electrical. But you're talking about a cool point where if there's secondary brain injury, like hypoglycemia, hypoxia, fever, seizures, that would be bad. And there's probably micro-seizures we can't detect even on EEG. We have lots of people right now, you know, that are encephalopathic post-large vessel occlusion or large stroke, and that encephalop encephalopathy is due to the edema and probably some form of seizure activity we can't see. Yeah, the future is very interesting. So there's going to be probably ultrasound will also have another greater role, like ultrasound for looking at ICP, ultrasound for looking at like serial ultrasound to look at yeah. the recanalized vessel, especially if it's not tech dependent. If you could strap a probe onto someone's forehead, if they have good temporal windows, hashtag 20% of people don't have good temporal windows. Um, but you could actually measure the flow and see what happens and have real-time EEG and a bunch of computers analyzing this stuff. Do you think there'll be hashtags in 2030? That's a good question. That depends on how if Twitter survives. Twitter has some issues, but we, we love Twitter yeah. as well. But, you know, you never know. Now, what about ultrasound radiofrequency ablation of clot? That's very interesting. Yeah, so maybe some sort of chemical agent that punches a hole through that clot and then you use ultrasound and sonication to get the clot more permeable. Or maybe it makes clots more amenable to TPA. Maybe, yeah. But Earlier, we talked about how TPA may be obsolete in 2030. That's right. We may see the slow death of TPA, and uh, we'll have to see where that goes. It'll be very interesting. That was excellent. So we look forward to having you on Stroke.fm again, uh, dear listeners. And please join us uh, again for uh, another episode when we come back and talk to you about some other cool thing. Great to chat with you all. Awesome. See you at our next episode. That's right. See you our next episode.